last Sunday night, a week ago today, um, we were, as a family, we were sitting in, uh, on, in the living room and watching a TV show. And, uh, and then I got a little ding on my phone. And so I uh, glanced at it real quick and uh, couldn't quite comprehend uh, what it said. So, so I opened it up and, and, uh, and I told Chelsea, I said, Chelsea, pause the TV. And uh, I just sat there in silence for a few moments, and everyone said, what is it? What's happening? What, what, what's on your phone? And uh, it, it took me a, a second to even be able to verbalize it, but a dear friend of ours, a man uh, who was 40 years old, lived, used to live directly across the street from us, had a son the exact same age as Dawson and a daughter exactly the same age as Kinsey, we've done so many things with them that uh, Dawson and his son are still on the same baseball team, so we see them all the time. And, and I said, you're never going to believe it, uh, but our good friend died of a heart attack today. And he leaves behind his two young kids and his wife. And in difficult moments like that, uh, we're, we're caused, we're, we just have to step back and, and, first of all, try to take it in. Uh, like we've been just uh, uh, contemplating this all week. But then we, we begin to ask those difficult questions, kind of taking inventory of our lives. Like, what, what really matters and, and knowing the, the, uh, how fragile life is, how are we going to live our lives in such a way that gives uh, significance and meaning and purpose to our lives? And it's with those questions in mind that I began to study the passage of Scripture that, uh, for this Sunday's sermon. And I, and, uh, and I had a different message in mind, but the Lord began to uh, speak to me uh, some things that I feel like he's laid on our hearts this morning. We're going through the book of Nehemiah, and so just to take it in order, uh, today's chapter is Nehemiah 7. And Nehemiah 7 is the longest of the chapters in Nehemiah. It's um, 70, let me uh, remember here, it's 73 verses, but uh, 57 of them are simply the list of names. And, uh, and I looked at all of those names, and uh, just to let you know, we're not going to read all 73 verses this morning, uh, because that would be the sermon, uh, and then we'd be out of time. But we're really not going to list the names, because to be honest, I don't know who any of these people are, and I'd probably butcher half of their names. Uh, however, what the Lord laid on my heart was that these individuals must have been important to God. They were, important of, uh, they were important enough to God for him to write down their names to be recorded for the rest of human history in the Holy Scriptures. And I want to emphasize one very important fact this morning, and that is that God knows your name, that you are important to him, 
Jesus said that, you, he, uh, that God knows the number of hairs on your head. In other words, God knows you better than you know yourself. Does the scripture say that God knows our tears? He knows the number of our days. You matter to God. Your life is important to him. But let's be honest, a hundred years from now, most of us will not have our names in the history books. And to be honest, most of, our, uh, most of us, our, our great-great-grandkids, will not know anything about us if they know our names at all. But, th- but there is a way to live that our lives will make a difference for the long run. There is a way to live that, uh, that the, it counts and it has significance and importance. So the, to t- the title of today's message is Recalibrate. Your life matters to God. And as I said, we're not going to read all of Nehemiah 7, but we're going to read the first two verses. And in, the, in these two verses, we're introduced to a man by the name of Hananiah. It says that his life stood out among most people. And, that, and that's a challenge to us. I, every, God knows all of our names, but there is a way to live in which our lives will stand out um, uh, uh, in the crowd. And so we're going to look at the example of Hananiah. This is Nehemiah 7, the first two verses, verses 1 and 2. After the wall had been rebuilt and I set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hananiah, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. So that's the sermon today. Hananiah was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. The description of Hananiah shows that integrity and the fear of God were in short supply during his day. He stood out, am- he stood out among all the people. He stood out more than most people do, it says. And I think if we look at those two traits, integrity and the fear of God, those two traits are in short supply today. We look at the world around us. Uh, we, uh, if we were to live with integrity and the fear of God, we would stand out. In fact, I believe that these are two key characteristics for living a life that truly matters, that matters in the long run. So let's look at these two things together this morning. First of all, what does integrity mean? To be a person of integrity means that you have a principled dedication to your values and beliefs. In other words, you do what you say you believe. Uh, you're, not the, uh, you're not one way in one setting. When you're with one group of people, you act one way. And then when you're with another group of people, you are a radically different person. No, integrity means that, you believe, that what you believe is lived out in no matter what setting you're in. You hold to your values and your, t- uh, condi- and your convictions. Integrity simply means that you're the same through and through. That you're the same through and through. Uh, integrity is sometimes used uh, to describe uh, metal. Like when they're, when they're uh, forming a sword, for example, a metal sword... 
the first thing they have to do is they have to get all of the impurities out of the metal. If there's any little rust particles or dirt or, or dust or anything like that, uh, so, that the, so that the metal can be strong, so that that sword will not shatter when it's used in battle, uh, it has to have integrity. And the same thing could be said of our lives. It's when we get rid of all of the quote-unquote hidden sins, when we get rid of the the impurities of our lives, then our lives become strong. Then we're strong and pure. Now, if we were to take the TV monitor and uh, begin to show the activities of your week this week, and, uh, and, and, we, and we have how you were at work and how you were uh, with your family and how you were when you were all alone. The person of integrity never has to raise his hand and say, stop the tape, stop the tape. I don't want you to see what happens next. You see, that's the idea. The person of integrity is the same through and through. They live out their beliefs and values. I like to think of it like a piece of fruit. You ever had an apple that just looks so delicious on the outside? It was just that, that, just that right, uh, right golden red color and and it looks delicious, and then you take a bite into it, and it's got a big rotten spot. It's all mushy inside, and, you, and you're like, oh, man, that's gross and nasty. The, the person of integrity not only looks good on the outside, but has, a, has, an, has an inside, a, a core and conviction. See, the integrity not only applies to your actions, it applies to your mindset, your attitudes, what you say, not only in public, but what you say in private. Now, I recognize that our, that our behavior changes for, uh, in the setting that we're in. You know, obviously, if I go to a basketball game, I can yell and scream as loud as I want. But if I do that in the committee meeting, you're probably going to think, uh, come on, Pastor Corey, know where you're at. So I'm not saying that our, our behavior doesn't change in terms of the context. What I'm saying is our behavior doesn't change because we compromise our values or our beliefs. You see, the integrity matters to God. Sometimes someone will say to me, oh, oh sorry, pastor, I shouldn't say that in church, or, or they'll know I'm a Christian, and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't say that around you. You see, that, that's out of the realm of a person of in, in integrity, because we don't live... To be how we might be viewed by others, we live because we live in light of who God is and the fact that God is with us all the time. But how? But uh, but I'll just let uh, even even while I say that, I will let us know that people pick up on if we're a person of integrity or not. Like it kind of seeps out of your life. Uh, you it, uh, people get a sense of. If the way you're living is a show or if this is who you really are, it, it comes out in the way we live our lives. And so integrity is crucial for us as Christians for our, for our testimony, for our witness. Christian author, Christian author Brennan Manning said, The greatest single cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny them and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world 
simply finds unbelievable. And so my challenge for us today is, will we live out what we really believe? As a church, we have a statement of, of faith. We have a statement of beliefs. It's, it's through our conference, but just if we were to take a glance at our statement of beliefs, we say we believe, uh, in that statement of beliefs, it talks about the doctrine of God. We say we believe in the sovereignty of God, but do we actually live like God is in control, or, or do we think we are in control? We, we try to live as if we can control our lives. In the statement of belief, it, it talks about the authority of Scripture. And we, know, and we all would uh, say, if we are followers of Jesus, I believe in the Bible, I believe in the authority of Scripture, but how many times do we compromise its teachings? And it talks about the importance of the church in our statement of beliefs. And we would say we, we believe in the importance of the church, but how many times do we let other things get in front of our conviction that the church is important in our lives? And the statement of, belief, uh, statement of faith talks about uh, the reality of heaven and hell. But how many times do we, act, do we live as if this world is all there is? You see, a person of integrity lives out in all areas of their life, in public or in private. The idea, uh, the, the core convictions, the beliefs that we have. What we believe about God or about God matters in how we live our lives. So that transitions us to the second point that, it's, uh, that it makes about Hananiah. It says that Hananiah feared God. Now, what is the fear of God? Fear of God, I just want to make it abundantly clear, first of all, the fear of God is not a sort of dread that we walk around looking over our shoulders all the time that, that God's going to strike us dead with a bolt of lightning. No, the fear of God is to have a right understanding of who God is. And so it really, it really displays itself in a, in a proper respect and uh, and. Uh, submission to God. A fear of God knows who God is and uh, treats him with reverence, respect, and awe. And, and just as the fear of God was in short supply in Hananiah's day, I think that we who live in a 21st century, very comfortable world uh, can get lulled into a feeling of self-sufficiency and a lack of the fear of God. We treat God like, like um, a, a little brother, like a, a kid does his little sibling. Yeah, come on, get out of my way. And we push God to the side, treating him that in such a way as if he doesn't really have authority and importance in our life. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction you see the fear of the lord makes us wise wisdom is simply knowing what to do when you are in a difficult situation knowing what to say at just the right moment knowing how to handle uh, something that ha comes into your life that's wisdom and the fear of the lord leads to wisdom because now we begin to speak and to act in light of who god is in us and around us that's what it means to have wisdom and that's how the fear of God leads to wisdom. 
the first thing, if, this is, uh, if the fear of the Lord leads to wisdom, the first thing that we need to know about God is that God is holy. When Moses stood before the burning bush as he wandered through the wilderness, he noticed a bush off in the distance that, uh, that was burning, but it never burned up. And he made his way over there. And what did God say to him? Take off your sandals for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. Seemed to be kind of a fundamental uh, characteristic of God. When Isaiah got a glimpse into, uh, into the throne room of heaven, there were angels flying all around who were singing a song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In the Hebrew text, whenever something is uh, mentioned three times, that's, that's, that's that way of highlighting it, putting an exclamation point uh, behind it, bolding it, uh, underlining it, all the above. Uh, it's this way of uh, g- giving greatest importance. More than anything, Isaiah, when he sees God in, in heaven, uh, is, he, God is described as being holy. Hol- God's holiness points to his glory, to his purity, to his awesome power. I heard, a, uh, I heard something on the radio this week, and I'll admit I was daydreaming, so I don't know the context of this or when this happened or where this happened, but this is the part of the story that got my attention. Uh, there was an animal show, and uh, the animal trainer had brought out a lion on a chain leash. And, uh, and the lion, in the middle of the animal show, something spooked the lion. And all of a sudden, the lion fixed his eyes on someone in the audience like just like a a a perfect glare at one person's face and so they got a, a person with a calm voice got on the loudspeaker and said nobody move no sudden movements and they all stood and they all sat there still for 20 minutes before the uh lion's gaze finally move to the side can you imagine if you were that one individual (laughs) like the lion has his eyes fixed on your eyes for 20 minutes and if he if he gets spooked anymore he is ready to pounce like there's power there's there's something to be feared in that lion and uh, i just want to say that god is more like a lion than he is a puppy dog like god is a god of power God is a God of authority. What God says gets done. And we ought to have a certain respect for him. We ought to have that kind of a fear of God that we know that God is powerful. When C.S. Lewis wrote his allegory uh, called The Chronicles of Narnia, he, uh, he, uh, he has all of these, it's an allegory, he has all of these talking animals. And the animal that he chose to represent Christ was a lion that he named Aslan. And as the story uh, goes on, the children are talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, Susan, one of the children, asks uh, Mr. V- Beaver, they're talking about Aslan the lion, and they say, is he safe? And let me, uh, let me uh, read to you what Mr. Beaver says. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver is telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You see, that's that's the type of fear of God that I think we ought to have towards God. 
He's not safe, but know that he is good. He is powerful. And until we begin to understand his holiness, it's going to be hard to understand his his other attributes. You see, sometimes we, we minimize God's mercy because until we understand God's holiness, we can't really understand his mercy. Mercy means that we don't get what we deserve. And until we understand how holy and pure and awesome God is, we can't quite understand his mercy. And maybe we don't understand his patience, that God is long-suffering, that God is patient with us. Until we understand his holiness, we won't quite get that either. And maybe sometimes we don't understand his righteous anger or his justice because we don't understand his holiness. Psalm, uh, Moses says in Psalm 90 verse 11 if only we knew the power of your anger your wrath is as great as the fear that is due your name let me read that one one more time if only we knew the power of your anger your wrath is as great as the fear that is due your name David says this in Psalm 7 God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation towards sin every day jesus said it like this do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell and then paul says in romans 6 23 for the wages of sin is death that's what we deserve a wage is what you earn but the wages of sin is death but The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, this is the God that we serve. The God that uh, we love and we worship. A God who is holy and deserves our respect and honor. But a God who is also good because he loves us so much. He gives us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In fact, until we understand his holiness, we don't understand why Jesus would have to send his very own beloved son to the cross to satisfy his wrath. Do you remember the days in recess where you were picking teams? And uh, I remember these days. uh, uh, As soon as you were chosen for a team, you know, they chose all the best players first. So I was never the first player chosen. But as soon as I was chosen, I knew if I was going to win the game or not. Because everybody knew who the best players were. And I knew if I was on, jo- on JoJo's team, we were going to win because JoJo was the, best, uh, was the best basketball player. And I just want uh, us to recognize that when we are chosen to be on God's team, we can know that we are going to win, that God is the best. He's the most powerful. And he... And, and, and uh, we could be shaking in our, in our boots, knocking our knees because we are against God and not on God's team. And that's a certain type of fear. Or we can uh, recognize that we have been chosen to be on his team. And now it's a different kind of fear. It's a respect. It's an understanding that God's power and his, and his wrath and his anger is not aimed towards us, but it is aimed towards our enemies, namely Satan. That we are now on God's team and he fights for us. And so we live in respect and awe of him. This is 
uh, the fear of God. The fear of God motivates us to put God first in our lives. And as I said, I think we're in short supply of the fear of God today. Because many people say that God exists, but they live as if he doesn't exist. We might call them functional atheists. They say God exists, but, they, but functionally, practically, they live as if God doesn't exist. David Harrell wrote a book telling uh, the story of his father, Edgar Harrell. Edgar was one of the, uh, a few survivors of the last ship that was sunk in World War II. The ship was the USS Indianapolis. And uh, the ship was hit and sunk, and, uh, and this ship that had 900 sailors uh, uh, was left to, each sailor was left to try to survive in the icy cold waters of the ocean. And uh, they were stranded at sea for five days, and most people didn't make it. Uh, most people were just simply there with uh, vests bobbing up and down in the water, hunger, hungry, dehydrated, surrounded by sharks. And this is what Edgar said about the days alone in the ocean. He says, Clearly there were no atheists in the water that day. Gone was the damnable uh, attitude of pride that deceives men into thinking that there is no God. Or if there is, or if there is, they don't need him. When a man is confronted with death, it is the face of the Almighty God he sees, not his own. We are all acutely aware, we were all acutely aware of our Creator during those days and nights at sea. You see, I think we live in a very comfortable world. And unfortunately, and, and there's a lot of blessings to that, but unfortunately, we're not quote unquote drowning. We're not bobbing in the sea. And so it's easy to begin to think we don't need God. Even if we believe that God exists, we're functional atheists. We live as if he doesn't exist. But So my challenge today is don't get lured into apathy towards God by the culture that we live in. Live with the fear of God. Live with a passion for God because this is what gives me... Uh, uh, this is what gives meaning to life. Okay, let me just share one other thing to tie this all together. This comes from a book uh, by the name, uh, the book's name is Finite and Infinite Games, written by theologian James Kars. Uh, leadership guru Simon Sinek had, has picked up on this book, and he has a book by the similar title. But Kars, the theologian, says that there are finite games... And there are infinite games. Finite games are how we normally think of games, like that have a, a beginning point and an ending point. A baseball game has nine innings. There's clear rules. There's, clear, there's a clear winner and a loser. But then he says there are also infinite games. Infinite games are the bigger games of life in which there's no clear winner or no clear loser, and sometimes there's not even clear rules to the, to the game of the infinite games of life. But the infinite games of life still have a purpose. And, he, and, and James Carr says the purpose of the infinite games of life are to perpetuate the things that are most important. And as followers of Christ, we know that we have a part of an infinite game. We exist to glorify God and to spread his salvation. 
You see, that is how our lives have meaning, even if our great-great-grandkids don't remember our name. Because we are part of a bigger story. We exist to perpetuate the glory of God. And see, that is why the, uh, the characteristics of integrity and the fear of God are so important. Because when we begin to live with integrity and the fear of God, we begin to realize that we live for God. That all things matter for Him. Things done in secret and things done uh, in, the, in, the, in the public eye. All things matter to Him. And we ought to begin to live our lives uh, in light of who He is. That's what it means to have the fear of God. So today's sermon has one big point. That your life matters. And you matter because God matters. And so the challenge is to recalibrate your life to live in such a way that shows who God really is and that God is with you all the time and that he's worth it, that he's glorious. We live in an infinite game where we perpetuate the glory of God. We live to spread a passion for God so that he is above all else in our lives, church, and community. May we live not as functional atheists who say God exists but live as if he doesn't, but may we live in the opposite way. May we live knowing that God exists and everything we do is important to him. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we are mindful that, th that there are uh, valleys and peaks in life. And um, God, it still weighs heavy on my heart, the friend that uh, we lost this week, and, and uh, I pray for his family. I pray that you would touch them in, special, in a special way that, uh, during this time and draw them close to yourself. And God, I lift up every person that is here that may be going through that valley period. And they're going through a difficult time. I pray that they would turn to you and find comfort and joy. But God, no matter if we're in the valley or if we're on the mountain peak, God, we come before you because we know that you exist and that you are awesome and that you are worthy to be praised. We thank you for who you are, that you are a holy God, that you are full of love and mercy and grace and, and patience. And God, we pray that you would help us to live with integrity and live uh, with the fear of God. And so may we submit our lives to you in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.